Jesus. And so this evening, we stand amazed in your presence this evening for all that you've done for us.
So we humbly stand here at the foot of your footstool. To give you our gratitude, to give you our love this evening, to bless your holy name. For oh, how good you have been to us. And we worship you. We bow down to you, our master and our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. As we continue our study through the Bible and taking a look at John's Gospel. One of the favorite and best known passages that we have in the Bible is the 23rd Psalm. Are you familiar with it? The 23rd Psalm really speaks of the shepherd and the Lord being our shepherd. And the shepherd-sheep motif is all throughout Scripture. God in the Old Testament is seen as the shepherd for the nation of Israel. In the 23rd Psalm, David is seen as the shepherd king. And in the New Testament, Jesus is seen as the shepherd leader. Now, we're coming to this text as Jesus has just finished healing the blind man, and this blind man that was poorly treated by all the religious leaders, they were upset that this blind man was healed on the Sabbath. They were upset with Jesus who healed the blind man, and they were upset with the fact that the blind man wouldn't reject Jesus. They were super mad. And these were supposed to be the shepherds for the nation of Israel. These are the religious leaders. You would think that they would have great joy over the fact that a blind man was healed. Not less that the man was healed by Jesus who no man ever born blind had been ever healed. Which fulfilled a messianic prophecy as we studied last week. And so we think about this idea on how people can get so messed up in the head. Today we're going to take a look at this parable that Jesus speaks of as him being the good shepherd because he wants to introduce himself to the nation of Israel as a positive contrast to the poor leadership that was taking place. People struggle for good leadership today, don't they? We want good leaders. We want leaders that will take care of us. We want people that will make good decisions, best decisions on our behalf, right? I mean, that's what we want. Nobody chooses a bad leader. No one says, today I choose the worst leader that's going to abuse me or use me up. It just doesn't happen. Well, at least not if they're right in the head. And 
So many times, people will shy away from even religious leaders because of the negativity that religious leaders have have portrayed in, in being leaders that would use the church or, or use those people of faith for themselves. As was the case for the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, they really didn't care about Israel. It was a means to the end. And, and that's what ends up happening with corrupt leadership. Is they, they look at people as pawns, as a means by which they might gain for themselves. And, and they really don't care about others. They are self-serving. And here Jesus comes as the shepherd leader who is self-sacrificing. That's what we want. We want to know that we are the most valuable person to to that leader that is going to do what's necessary for us, for our benefit. Isn't that what you want? Whether it's a, a political leader, a religious leader, or even the leader in the home. That husbands should be willing to sacrifice their lives as Christ did for the church. And so, when we think about self-sacrificing, that really is the highest call and quality within good leadership, isn't it? And within the shepherd leader. And so as we walk through this, we're going to take a look at how Jesus portrays himself as the good shepherd to contrast the poor leadership that was going on in the nation of Israel. So we'll just jump right in here to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. And again, this is on, on, the, on the continuing conversation of 41 as, as they have abused, the, these religious leaders have abused this poor blind guy and Jesus healed him. And Jesus actually restores this blind guy in 41. But in 10.1, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. And to him the doorkeeper opens, and the parable, or I'm sorry, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of the stranger. Now, when we think about this parable, a parable really is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It is something that is tangible that people are going to connect with. In the Near Eastern culture, there were a lot of shepherds, weren't there? Whether they had a bunch of goats or they had a bunch of sheep, that was what they did. They were an agrarian culture, so they were either farmers or they were herdsmen within this. So when he talks about the good shepherd, everybody's going to know what this is because they see it all the time. It's in the countryside. When we go to Israel, we still see shepherds today that are taking care of their sheep within this. So he starts out, truly, truly. Now, what does he mean by truly, truly? Truly, truly, here's the rule of thumb. In the Bible, when something is repeated, what do you need to do? Pay attention. If he says it twice, pay attention. Truly, truly. Amen, amen. Absolutely. Pay attention. I'm going to tell you something. And then he talks about these sheep. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who doesn't enter by the door of the sheepfold, but climbs in some other way, he's a thief and a robber. So what does he mean by that? Well, you have to have an idea of what the sheepfold might look like. So I have a picture of a sheepfold. This is a picture of a sheepfold that you would find out in the countryside. Basically, it's a holding pen. 
They would make these sheepfolds out of rocks and they would put them in a circle with only one opening. The opening was just wide enough for the sheep to get through and for a shepherd to lay in front of. The rocks would be high enough that the sheep couldn't get out. And then what they would do is they would find bramble, thorns, or anything that they could that was like these real sticky bushes to put on the top all the way around as a crown on the wall. And the whole idea of that was you were to keep, it would keep the animals from jumping out and, and going over. It was kind of like nature's barbed wire. And so he created this. So as you can see this, now I want you to see this and listen to this verse again. I say to you, he who doesn't enter by the door. How many doors are there? One. Into the fold, but climbs up some other way. He's a thief and a robber. Well, what would the thief and robber do? Well, he wouldn't come up to the, where the shepherd was laying across the door and say, let me take your sheep. He would wait till the shepherd was asleep and he would come around some other side and hop the wall and, and come and get them. And so within this, we see the focus here is on the one who's coming into the fold to steal. He's not coming in to take care of them. Now, remember the context. Context is king. He's talking about these Pharisees and religious leaders that were bad shepherds, that already were, were badgering this poor blind man, and he's bringing out this contrast from a bad shepherd to him being the good shepherd. And so in this, he says, look at the one that only comes through the door. He's the good shepherd. Why? Because he's the one that protects the sheep and the sheep know him. He comes in and, and you've got to understand that, that the shepherd sheep relationship was very intimate. These shepherds would live with these sheep and they would take care of them and they would know them by name. They would know his voice. And John, as he writes this, he says this, and he uses the definite article, the shepherd. Not a shepherd, but the shepherd. There's only one. Now, you say, well, why would God tolerate these bad shepherds? Well, and these bad shepherds were just a picture of the bad spiritual leaders. In Ezekiel 34, 1 through 5, the prophet Ezekiel would write, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. You should not, or should not the shepherd feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened, and the diseased you have not healed, and the broken you have not bound up, and the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But, the force and the, but with force and severity you have dominated them, and they were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field that were scattered. What is the idea of a bad leader? A bad leader is one that consumes his own sheep, his own people. And so he's saying to the nation of Israel, the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel, you guys are bad shepherds. When the sheep were hurting, you didn't help them. When they were scattered, you didn't go find them. And what you did is you devoured the fat ones and you killed them. You're supposed to care for them. Do we have leaders that do that today? Yes, we do in our world. And we have spiritual leaders that do that. 
that build to themselves their own empire and, and devour those that they should be caring for. And they are judged by God. Well, the shepherd that enters by the door and knows the sheep, he's very clear that there is a proper way, one way, to enter into the relationship with the sheep. And Jesus did that. God sent His only Son into the world, into the sheepfold. God's way. God's pattern. He was the shepherd that was sent in to take care of Israel and take care of, of, of those that are in the world. He was sent by God. The problem with the false shepherds is they come in some other way, self-appointed. I want to come in and I want to, I want to devour them. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is only one way. And that's through Jesus. Jesus is the door to the sheepfold. He is the caretaker. I love the fact that, that in this parable he says that the sheep hear his voice and he calls. Again, showing this relationship and the intimacy to be able to call these sheep by name. Philip Keller wrote an amazing book. And the book is called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. And what he did is he went to the Near East over into Israel and he spent a couple of years with shepherds to understand what a shepherd really does. And then he took what he learned and he applied it against the 23rd Psalm. And he said it's amazing that the shepherd would know everything about every single sheep. And that the sheep would come through the door, not just like get in there. But at the door, the sheep would call the sheep and the sheep would come to him at the door and then he would inspect the sheep. And he's looking for cuts and, and, and thorns and thistles and anything that's broken so that he can mend it. We think that about the part in the shepherd's psalm where it says, that you anoint my head with oil. Oil was medicinal. And oil was practical because if you anointed a sheep with oil, it would keep the flies off. There was, there was so much about that psalm that that Keller writes of, and he says, and they know by name. Do you know God knows your name? God knows your name. He knew you before the foundations of the world. And when you come to faith, God gives you a new name, a special name. Revelation 3.12 says this, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple, my God. And he will no, not go out from there anymore. I will write his, on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, New Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven, and my new name. God knows your name. And he calls you by name. He calls you to himself. But the stranger, the sheep won't go to. Verses 4 and 5. A stranger might call the sheep, but they have nothing to do with it. Why? Because there's no relationship. There's no relationship with the stranger. And, and the other thing that's interesting about a shepherd that Philip Keller would write about in, in his, his book, he said that there's two kinds of shepherds. There's the hireling and the shepherd. The, the, hireling, the hireling 
drives the sheep. The shepherd leads the sheep. The good shepherd walks in front of the sheep and the sheep willingly follow. The hireling or the herdsman drive the sheep from behind. We were in um, Romania a number of years ago. And we were up in, in Necrolesht, up in this hill country, and there was some shepherds that were there, and they had these really big dogs that would always come over and eat our food, and, which was cool because we liked the dogs. But we would watch these sheep, and it's kind of like, have you seen Sound of Music, the movie Sound of Music? Right? Imagine those hills, and you've got these herd, this herd of sheep that are like feeding all along the side of this hill, and you've got these shepherds. But they're yelling at the sheep. And then they're sending the dogs, and the dogs would drive the sheep. And when the dogs didn't do things right, then the shepherds would hit the dogs, and they weren't very nice. <laughs> so then the dogs decided, bag this, we're going over there where the kids are. And they were coming over to eat. And then the shepherds showed up one day, and they were angry because we were feeding. And they said, you stop feeding our dogs. they got to work. They were hirelings. They didn't care about the sheep. We think about this, this idea that God would send a shepherd that would lead, not drive. Jesus is the good shepherd that leads you, doesn't drive you, doesn't make demands. And you think about the calling on the apostles. What did he say to them when he called them from their jobs? Come what? Follow me. Moses would pray for a shepherd that would lead Israel in Numbers 27, 15 to 17. It says, And Moses spoke to the Lord said, and this was his prayer, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will, note, lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep that have no shepherd. By God's grace, and I don't mean this to be mean. We are all dumb sheep. Sheep need to be led. They need to be cared for. Sheep will get in trouble. They just... We need to be led. But if there's no leader, then you end up with a flock that has no shepherd and they wander around and they get into trouble and go places they never should go. Eating things they never should eat. And, and so we look at this and we say... You know, we need that shepherd. Our world today needs a shepherd, does it not? It needs a shepherd that is going to care for the sheep and love them, lead them and guide them and not drive them. We need Jesus. Who goes out ahead. And you realize that coming to earth, and from the point of Jesus coming to earth, all the way into eternity, into heaven, Jesus has gone ahead of us. He has, he has gone ahead of us and is leading us into heaven. And so within this, we need to follow the good shepherd. Jesus expands the parable a bit. In verses 6 to 18, he says this. And so the figure is, this is a figure of speech. Jesus spoke to them, but they didn't understand it. And what those things which were he was saying to them. And Jesus said to them again. I love this. You didn't get it the first time. I'm going to tell it to you again. So Jesus said to them again. Truly, truly, I say to you. Should we pay attention? Yes, because he said truly, truly. 
I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters, note, through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, I have other sheep, which are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay down my life on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So because they didn't get the parable the first time, didn't understand it, Jesus' words were misunderstood, Jesus unpacks it a little bit further. Does God have to tell us what He wants us to learn more than once? Yeah, usually. For me, it's about four or five times. Pay attention. Truly, truly, listen up. So because these words were misunderstood, he, Jesus unpacks it a little bit further. The Pharisees didn't understand. They didn't understand because, one, they weren't sheep that belonged to Jesus. So they weren't listening to his voice. In fact, the Pharisees didn't understand because they already determined that Jesus was not of God and they wanted him dead. They weren't listening to hear. They had already made up their mind that Jesus was not legitimate. But Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. He is the door. And as we take a look, and, and if we can see that picture of that sheepfold again, as I said, He is the door. The only way in and the only way out is through Him. The only way that we're going to be able to have that, that entrance into heaven is through Him. He's the human door. He would lay across and, and nobody is going to get to His sheep. I love the fact that He paints the picture that says, no one is going to get to my sheep. If you want to get to my sheep, you've got to come through me. And that ain't going to happen. But if my sheep want to go out, they're going to come to me and then they can go and feed. When they're done feeding, they're going to come back to me and they're going to go in and be safe. And they're going to lay down. Philip Keller, as I said, would, would check the sheep. The other thing that's interesting that Keller would write is that when it says, and I lay down in green pastures, it says, you make me to lay down in green pastures. A sheep will not lay down unless they are completely content that there are no flies bugging them, that there's no pain, they got a full belly, and there's no threat. Then they will lay down. 
Now that's amazing. Because when we read in the shepherd's psalm, it says, And you make me to lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside quiet waters. And you restore my what? Soul. It's that presence of peace that Jesus gives to the sheep and to us. Do you have peace? Because if you don't have peace, then maybe you need to go to the shepherd and let him take away the, what's bugging you. Maybe you need to be fed. Maybe you got flies buzzing your head. I don't know. Maybe you got banged up. But the only way you're going to lay down is when you're, when you're in that place where you're protected by the shepherd and in that fold. Jesus would say all those that came before were thieves and robbers. These corrupt religious leaders. Not Moses or the prophets, but the religious leaders that really were messing things up. And he says it again in verse 9. Notice he says, I am the door. He, he Again, the only way in. I am the gatekeeper. The way into salvation. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. You can try to figure out your own way. Go ahead. The world's been trying to do it, and look at what that's happening to. It just It's messed up. But if you stop and you say, Jesus, the only way to peace is through you. The only way that I'm going to find rest is through you. The only way that I'm going to be able to find that rest is to through you to into that sheepfold where I know that you are 100% taking care of me. And then I can be at rest. Jesus is begging the hearers to be at rest. And in that, He is also rebuking the false teachers for not providing the rest that they should. Because these Pharisees are listening. And there's a contrast that is going on. He says the thief only comes with one purpose. Kill and destroy. Is somebody trying to kill you? Somebody trying to destroy you? I know one individual's name's Lucifer. And all those that are under him. Is someone trying to take from you as opposed to give to you? Jesus came so that His sheep would have abundant life. Do you have the abundant life? And I'm not talking about your bank account being full or your house being big or anything. What is abundant life? What is abundant life for a sheep? Peace. Being fed. Not worried about things attacking them. What is abundant life? Rest. And they lived in a field. But the shepherd was taking care of them. Satisfaction is the abundant life. And again, in verses 11 to 15, he declared, I am, ego a me. It's interesting because he uses the name of God. Ego a me. That's God's name. Which I'm sure the Pharisees, their heads were blowing up about this time. He's declaring Himself to be God. And we know in the Old Testament, God is the Good Shepherd. What is He doing? That's blasphemy. He's the Good Shepherd. 
And notice what he says is, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am known by my own, and my Father has sent me. And notice what he says in verse 15. I lay down my life for my sheep. I am laying down my life for my sheep. Do you think that the religious leaders really cared? Would they lay down their life for anybody in Israel? No. Do you know that Jesus laid down His life for you? To give you eternal life. He died in your place so that you would live. He took the punishment of God for the, and the wrath of God for sin in your place so that you would have a way into heaven. He gave it all. He laid down His life. But you think it's even more than that. The shepherd's life isn't easy. Because you think about the shepherd's life. He has to leave his family and go live in the field all throughout the summer from spring until fall. Traveling in the field, leaving his family, taking care of the sheep, staying up all night, watching the sheep. It was a tireless work. And always putting himself in between the danger. You think about David, and, and you can read about it later, but in First Samuel 17, 34 to 37, David was a shepherd boy. And he would fight a lion and a bear and win, which was pretty cool. My book. I think that would be way cool. I don't know that I would do it. <laughs> and he didn't have a gun. But he had a sling. He knew how to use it. But he would put himself in between the sheep and the threat to protect the sheep. Now, you think about that. It's like, wait a minute. They're just dumb sheep. I'm not going to die. Oh, no, but I love these sheep. And he put himself in. The greatest danger for the sheep is death. What is our greatest danger? The same. It's death. Not physical death. Eternal death. Jesus got between eternal death and us. And defends us against death by laying down His life in our stead. That's powerful. To sacrifice His life for others. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 to 21, it's the benediction of Hebrews. Listen to the words, and you can read them on the screen. It says this, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Jesus is the good shepherd that not only laid down His life by His own initiative, but He also raised it back up by His own initiative. And death was defeated. The hired hand, as He says in this parable, would not do that. The hired hand would see the wolf and run away. The hired hand would not, not lay down their life within this. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 17 says, Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword will be in his arm and his right eye, and his arm will be totally withered and his right eye will be blind. 
You know, there's woe for this guy who runs away. And again, as Jesus says in verses 14, Ego of me, I am the good shepherd. God the shepherd of the Old Testament is God the shepherd of the New Testament. Yahweh God, the shepherd, is Jesus Christ, the shepherd. And he declares it. Verses 16 to 18 is interesting though. There is a group that have taken this verse way out of context. Jesus says, I have other sheep, not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. What does he mean by that? I have other sheep, not of this fold. I can tell you what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean that he's talking about the Native Americans that live in America that he has to go and preach the gospel to later. That was somebody's idea of, a, of trying to describe this verse. No, it's wrong. Who's he talking to? And again, context is king. He's speaking to the Jews in the Jewish context of this fold. But I have others that are not of this fold, and they'll hear my voice. So if you're not a Jew, who are you? You are a Gentile. And so Jesus is speaking of the gospel that's not only going to be for the Jews, but also be for the Gentiles, and he's going to bring them together into one fold. And so we, we understand this. These are two flocks that are distinguished as Jew and Gentile, but they are going to be in one fold together with no separation. Paul would speak of that in Romans 1.16, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for both the Jew and the Greek. And also in Romans 10, 12 to 13, it says this, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Note this, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. Well, who's the whoever? Let's see. What does whoever mean? Whoever means what? Whoever. <laughs> Pretty simple. You're all Bible scholars now. Whoever is whoever. You don't have to have some kind of membership card. You don't have to be born into a certain family, nation, or, or, or tribe. Whoever hears the gospel and believes and says, Jesus saved me, the promises will be saved. Jews didn't like that. They thought they were the frozen chosen. No. They thought they were the special ones. Oh, they were special, okay. They were especially dumb because they had the Messiah Jesus standing right in front of them and they missed him. So Jesus goes to this other flock and he brings them together. Now the Jews are hearing it, some, and some will be saved. But it was for this reason that, that Jesus came, and it was for this reason that Jesus loves him. Why? Because he is sacrificing his life for the whoever, which is everyone. And again, I love verse 18. Some people will say that, they, that people took Jesus' life. Let me be very clear. No one took Jesus' life. Jesus laid down his life as a willing sacrifice 
And with that same power of, of conquering death, he took his life back up and three days later rose again. No one took his life. He gave it as that sacrifice. Within this, he, it, it, it's interesting because he lay, it, the text says he laid down his life and took it up again. When you look at it in the original language in the Greek, the, the framing says that he laid down his life as if he was laying down a garment. And then he took it back up within that. Why did he do that? To give us the guaranteed hope that when we die, that we will rise again. And that we will be given that new life to glorify God. And this made God smile. Now there was a lot of confusion, verses 19 to 21, amongst those that were hearing this. Why? Because one, they weren't a sheep. And two, they just didn't get it. So in 19 and 21, it says, A division occurred again amongst the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, well, he is a demon. He's insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? Now we have conflict. Some are saying, this guy's lost his marbles. He's nuts. He thinks he's God. And, and lay down his life and take it. He's, he, he's, he's nuts. He's a madman. He's demon possessed. And the other ones are saying, mm, I don't know. No one has ever opened the eyes of the blind that has been blind from birth. And so now there's this conflict. You often wonder why miracles were done. Miracles were done to authenticate the message. And Jesus is, is challenging these people who were confused. And they were confused. In fact, in John 7, 12 to 13, we read it earlier. It says, And there was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying, He's a good man. Others were saying, No, on the contrary, he leads people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly for fear of the Jews. Even to this day, can people agree on who Jesus is? No. No. Why? Because some hear his voice and some don't. Some are of the fold and some are not. Some have spiritual eyes to see and some don't. So how do I know who Jesus is? How can I see Him as the Good Shepherd? It's pretty simple. Pray this prayer. God, open my eyes so that I may understand You. Open my eyes so that I can see You, Lord Jesus. You pray that prayer and God will open your eyes. Well, Jesus, John moves on in his narrative. And as he's writing this narrative, he's really trying to, under, to explain who Jesus is. And in light of the confusion, he moves on as Jesus is going to assert his deity. Verse 22 to 42, this, this last section. He says this, Now at the time of the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon, and the Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. <laughs> you got to laugh. These Jews come up to him and they said, Okay, you've been talking circles around us. Will you just tell us, are you the Christ or not? And I can imagine Jesus in his mind going, Are you kidding me? 
have I not been clear enough for you? And so, one of the things I think is important in John's narrative is to know the festivals. The Feast of Dedication was right around what would be our December 25th. It was Hanukkah. It was the Festival of Lights. It was the time when God performed a miracle. And it was a time when after the Syrian invasion, everything was completely destroyed within that. And this Feast of Dedication, or we call it Hanukkah, Festival of Lights, it was instituted by a guy by the name of Judas Maccabeus in 146 B.C. And it was when they, they cleansed the temple after uh, what we would call the abomination of desolation. So there's this big battle. Antiochus Epiphanes comes in and, and he decimates the temple. And then he, he slaughters a, a pig and he tells the priest that you've got to drink the blood. And it just it, it does a horrible thing. So there's Jewish wars that took place. Joseph Maccabeus, one of the priests, and they went in and they won the war. They won the battle. But everything was wiped out. And it was wrecked within this. And it was, it was so bad, this beautiful temple was completely destroyed. In fact, it, the account says they threw themselves on the ground in grief and they blew horns in sorrow. And so they would go through and, and clean the temple. And the cleaning of the temple and refurbishing of the temple was finished on the 25th and in, of, of Chelsea, which is basically December, three years after the profaning of it. The problem was they needed oil for the menorah. Well, the oil had, was, had to be specially made, and it was, it was all contaminated with the exception of just one container that was only for one day. That's all that they would have had. But by a miracle, the oil would last eight days while the other new oil was being made. And so what they would do is they created what was called the Festival of Lights. Why? Because the worship of God had returned to the temple. And so when people light Hanukkah candles, it's a, it's a re reminder of God's provision in a very, very dark, dark time within this. So what they would do is people then would light a candle, one candle for every person in the household, for every night for eight days. If there were five in the household, then you would light five candles every day for eight days. Forty candles would be lit. I'm glad we don't do that today. There'd be a lot more household fires. But it's that celebration. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus is in the temple, Solomon's porch or the portico, and they come to them and they say, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? We want to know, are you really the Messiah that you pertain to be? And Jesus would answer them. I told you, and you don't believe, the works that I do in my Father's name, these testify, like giving sight to the blind. But you don't believe because you are not, what? Of my sheep. Again, he goes back to this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. 
and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. It's interesting to me that they are looking for an answer, and Jesus says, you are not, I've tried to tell you, and you're not going to get it. I, I've tried to tell you, but you are not of my sheep. Therefore, you will not understand. What do people do when they don't get the answer they're looking for? They usually get really angry. They, re, they get frustrated. These spiritual leaders were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of Israel. And they're missing God incarnate right in front of them according to Scripture. And he says, you're not of my sheep. You don't belong here. And he goes back to the parable of the shepherd. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, But a natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he can't understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Can a dead man see? Why? Why can't a dead man see? Because they're what? Dead. If you are spiritually dead, you cannot see God. And therefore, something that is spoken spiritually to a spiritually dead person is not going to be understood unless God would enlighten him. But Jesus has been trying to enlighten them and they refuse to listen. Those that belong to Jesus will hear his voice. We get into some really tricky stuff that people get really weirded out over. And, you know, whether it's predestination and chosen and elect and we get into all of this other stuff. Let me make it really simple for you. When you hear God's word, respond to it. Just respond. God, I'm hearing your word and I want to know more. And God will open the eyes of your understanding. The beauty about this is the security that we have. Not only if you're hearing God speak and you're drawn to Him and you want to know more, but when He gives you eternal life, verse 28, you will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. Why is that a powerful passage? It's powerful because of this. When he says, I give you eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. You don't earn it. It's a gift. It's a gift that's given to you that Jesus never takes back. Have you ever met somebody that said, well, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know... Maybe I lost my salvation. You know, I've done some really bad things. Maybe I lost my salvation. Maybe I'm not saved anymore because of all the, the horrible things that I've done. Again, let me make it simple for you. Eternal life is a gift. If you can't work your way in, you can't work your way out. It is a gift. And Jesus guarantees, He says, those I give eternal life to 
We'll never lose it. And no one will take you out of my hand. As a Christ follower, as one who is redeemed, as a child of God, you are placed in the palm of Jesus. No one, no one will ever take you out of the hand of Jesus. You'll never lose it. So within that, we've got to understand that we have that security. 1 John chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, John writes, The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. So you believe, you have faith, and it's confidence. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he hasn't believed in the testimony of God. That would be those Pharisees given concerning the Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. Can it get any simpler than that? If you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. So I want eternal life. Then what do I need to do? You need to have Jesus. How do I get Jesus? You ask for the gift. God, may I have Jesus, please? He makes it that simple. And He gives that eternal security. In John 6.39, says, This is the will of Him who sent me. Jesus speaking. That all, that of all that He has given me, I lose nothing, but raise on the last day. It is the Father's will that as you are given to the Son, your sheep in the sheepfold, that even if you die, and we probably will, that we will be raised. That's the eternal security that we have. Paul later would write to the church of Colossae, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When you become a Christ follower, your life is put into Christ. That's a dative. It, 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 it's a fancy way of saying that you're in this location of in Christ. So when you become a child of God, you are placed in Christ, never to be taken out. Secure within that. Well, Gary, what if I screw up? Okay, you screw up. But it doesn't change your location. God still sees you in that place. And Jesus said, no one, not even you, can take yourself out of the hand of God. Now, that's a lot to, to do. And so Jesus says, and I'm doing this because my Father asked me to do this. Not based on my own initiative. Not independent by the Father, but in union with the Father. He's doing the work of the Father on earth, which is powerful when you think about it because it is God the Father who is working through God the Son to accomplish the will of God in union. Never to be separated. We can rest in that. We can rest in that security because the Father and the Son are the same person in essence, difference in function, but complete unity John 5.19 says this, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. How do we know who God is? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Now, this ticked them off. Why? Because when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, to the Jew, that was blasphemy. You cannot make yourself God. And so what would they do? What every good Jew does when somebody blasphemes. They pick up stones and they want to stone them. So they pick up stones and they want to stone them. Stoning somebody was their answer for everything, I guess. I don't know. They picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered him and says, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him and says, For a good work, we don't stone you. But for blasphemy, and because you're being a man, make yourself out to be God. And Jesus answered them and says, Has it not been written in your law? And I said to you, You are God's. And if he called them God's, to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken... Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world? You're blaspheming because I said, I'm the Son of God. And if I do not do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Well, therefore, they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp, which I'll back in a minute. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to a place where John was first baptizing, and he stayed there. And many came and were saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. And many believed him there. So as they are confronting Jesus and wanting to stone him, they were enraged. Why? Because he made himself out to be God. But this wasn't the first time that they got mad at him. They got mad at him and wanted to kill him earlier in John 8, 58, 59. He said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am, ego me, the name of God. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out over the temple, which is cool. We're going to stone him. Jesus said, not today, you're not. Walked right out. In John 5, 18. For this reason, the Jews were seeking to kill him even more because he was only breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus had this this testimony that he was from the father and they didn't like it. Why? Because they didn't like the truth. They didn't like the fact that he was from God. So they wanted to stone him. So Jesus says, okay, fine. What work are you going to stone me for? They said, just because you're calling yourself to be God, not because of the works. In Leviticus 24, they could stone anyone that was blasphemy, but Jesus is telling the truth. And so within this, they were challenging him. And what Jesus does is he does something very, very cool. He quotes Old Testament scripture. They said, well, look, you're claiming yourself to be God. Okay, let's go to what David said. Psalm 82, verses 6 and 7, Jesus said, or God speaking on behalf of the psalmist, David, he says, You are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like one of these princesses. God had established to be children of God. Imago Dei, we were all created in the image of God. 
but because of our rebellion, we'll die like men. Okay, in my sin, I die like a man. But in my redemption, I live as a child of God. And it's in the Old Testament. And he declares that. They were being challenged by the Word of God. But yet they rejected it because Jesus said, I'm the Son of God. Have you ever met somebody, when you give them the truth, plain and simple, you put it right in front of them, not only do they reject it, but they become angry over it. It's like, ah, I just, I, you're, you're making me nuts. And they get angry and they get violent because the truth is in their face. Because they so do not want to believe. And so they want to stone Jesus. They went to seek, seize him, verse 39. And notice what 39 says. And he eluded their grab. I love how he does this. We're going to get him now. He's like, not today or not. And he just skates on out. He walks away and goes beyond the Jordan. On the other side, he says, not today. I'm going on the other side of the Jordan River. I'm going to go hang out there where John was baptizing. And many people followed him and came to faith. Because they were seeking the truth. They were seeking the truth and following because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There are those that we will come in contact with that it doesn't matter what you do, they will not believe. In fact, they'll be angry in their unbelief. What should you do? Jesus gave us the model. Speak the truth. Stand for the truth. Love those that want to be loved. And those that don't want it, walk away. Walk away. There are those that would follow Jesus that come to faith and those that would reject Him. I know it broke Jesus' heart and it, broke, it breaks God's heart. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But not everybody's going to do that. The same gospel is offered to the same group of people. Some people come to faith and some people don't. Why? Because they choose to either accept or reject based on their initiative. As you move through this world, understand this. If you don't get anything else, understand this. Jesus is your good shepherd and He's calling out to you. If you hear His voice, just answer Him. Say yes, Lord. And He will reveal Himself and open the eyes of your understanding so you can see. But if you want to remain blind, you'll remain blind. And it's not for lack of trying. It's for your own rebellion. I have a friend that has a saying, you get what you get, don't throw a fit. I want Jesus. I've got Jesus. And I know in my last breath on this planet, when I'm done here, I'm taking the elevator up. The rest of y'all, you're on your own. So get it right so I can see you in heaven. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that we can have that confidence that you care for us, that you love us. 
that you sent your Son on earth to reveal yourself to us and that he would pay the penalty for our sin and offer us eternal life. If we, if we put our faith in him and his work, you'll give us that gift of life and you'll be our good shepherd. Lord, I pray for those that are in this room or those that are watching online that they with confidence can say, Jesus, you are my shepherd. Yet, Lord, I know that there are some that are in this room and possibly watching online that can't say that with confidence. And if that's you, and you heard anything that God was speaking to you about how He loves you and He wants to forgive you of your sins, then pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I want to receive the gift of life. I want you to be my shepherd. Would you be my shepherd? Would you love me? You've laid down your life for me. I accept that. I want to be at peace. And I want to be at rest. And the only way I can do that is if I'm in your hand. Are you in the hand of Jesus? If you are, you'll be at rest. Let those words soak. Think about them as we close with the song. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus
song in your heart. Be amazed at your God each and every day. Everyone said, Amen. Praise Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.